Well, hello there. Welcome to episode seven of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're in for a real treat. In my conversation with Kathy Jamison, you're going to learn how she's lost 50 pounds since January 2018 and kept them off. Kathy used to be a yo-yo dieter, which I can totally relate to. But now she's learned what actually works to lose weight, keep it off, and feel great. I know you're going to appreciate her perspective. Aside from her amazing weight loss, Kathy shares tips for eating healthy on a budget, avoiding all of the treats that come with office culture, and even meditating. After hearing her thoughts on meditation, I have a whole new outlook and feel confident that I can start a practice of my own. When Kathy and I started our discussion, we had some recording issues. Let me tell you, I am not as tech savvy as I should be for this podcasting business. We did the best we could and recorded on a Zoom conference call, but the audio didn't turn out as high quality as I hoped it would. I did my best editing it after the fact, but again, I'm not that tech savvy, so I apologize that I wasn't able to get it perfect. Fortunately, Kathy's amazing story and tips make up for the poor audio quality, so I know you'll still really enjoy this episode. One more thing, I want to send a shout out to Sneaky Snacker, one of my five-star reviewers on Apple Podcasts. Sneaky Snacker wrote, awesome health tips, well-produced. Great new podcast for my Monday morning walk. Looking forward to some episodes to counter the holidays. Keep up the great work. Loving the tips. Thank you so much for writing out your review, Sneaky Snacker. And also, I really love your name. Every single Apple podcast review means so much to me. I read every single one and I get super excited every time a new one comes in. So keep the reviews coming and thank you so much if you've already taken the time to write one. All right, I don't want to hold off any longer on this interview. Let's get right to it. Hi, I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and host of the Health Investment Podcast. Here's the thing, you deserve to feel amazing. But here's the other thing. There are so many confusing messages out there. Week after week, I'm going to share tips and practices that actually work for simple weight loss and sustainable wellness, because I want to help you get healthy for good without any BS. When I'm not podcasting, I work with clients one-on-one. So visit the show notes to book your free consultation. And don't forget to leave a review so that others can become trim, energized, confident, BS-busting rock stars like you. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Kathy. Thank you so much for being here tonight on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so excited to have the roles reversed since you had interviewed me previously, but now here I am interviewing you. So thanks for being here. Oh, I'm so excited too. And this is exciting for me because this is the first time somebody is interviewing me for a change. So I'm looking forward to it. Oh my gosh, I'm so honored. That's great. Since I just mentioned the podcast that I had been on of yours, where is the best place for people to find that? Yeah, so my podcast is called Live Your Best Life. And it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, a bunch of other platforms. I'm also really active on Instagram. Instagram is at Kathy underscore live your best life. And I always post updates about latest podcast episodes and everything there. Oh, great. Excellent. So yeah, if anybody still hasn't heard my interview on yours, they can go ahead and check that out. So 
What I know from following you on Instagram is that around 2018, or I guess right at the start of 2018, you made a New Year's resolution to lose weight and just kind of get overall healthier. And since then, you've lost 50 pounds, which is incredible. That's such an amazing accomplishment. But then I know you decided to work on other aspects of your health, adding in practices like meditation and cleaning up your home products. So we'll definitely touch on those things. But I was wondering if you could first share a little bit about your pre-2018 decision to lose weight and kind of what had been going on for you up to that point? I mean, we could go back to my teen years. I, I was definitely a bookworm and a bit of a couch potato, and I was not into sports at all. And so I would come home from school and literally flop on the couch, have a little nap, watch some TV, do my homework. And I wasn't extremely overweight in my teens, but the weight did start to creep on. And I was always probably about, oh, 10 or 15 pounds overweight. In adulthood, I became a real yo-yo dieter. I became really good at losing weight and even better at gaining it back and Mm. then some. You name it. I did the low-fat craze of the 90s. Anything that I bought, as long as it said low-fat, it was good for you. I did Weight Watchers, I did counting calories, and I lost weight doing those things, but it was always temporary. I'd reach my goal weight and think, okay, that's it, I'm done. And then I would go back to the way I was eating and gain the weight back. In my 30s, I had definitely crept up into the obese category. It was not just an extra 15 pounds anymore. And I was starting to notice some real health concerns. I was working in an office, sitting all day, and something about office culture, there's always food around. People bring in donuts, chocolates, Christmas time is the worst. Clients would send in gift baskets full of treats. That's when the weight really started to build up, and I started to notice a lot of health problems. So first of all, every winter, I would get really sick. I'd have lots of colds, lots of flus. I had really horrible heartburn acid reflux, gastritis, indigestion, eczema on my face, asthma. I was really tired and lethargic all the time. And my mood swings were starting to get seriously out of control. I tell my husband almost daily now how grateful I am that he put up with me when I was a raving lunatic because I was out of control. So the winter of 2017, I, I was fed up. I'd had enough. And that's when I decided that I was really going to do something. I was the same weight that I had been when I was nine months pregnant with Mm -hmm. my daughter and just feeling horrible. I, I was depressed and it was all the health problems. So I decided I was going to have one last hurrah and really enjoy the holidays and (laughs) Christmas. And then starting January 1st, the typical New Year's resolution, I was going to go hardcore and completely revamp my diet and get healthy. No coincidence, it was also the winter that I got the absolute worst flu. I barely made it through Christmas morning, spent about a week in bed. I had assumed there was a link to my high sugar consumption during the holidays and how sick I always got. And then I was really ready to just test that theory and get healthy and see what happened. Wow. That's incredible. So then your New Year's resolution was to lose weight. Was that kind of like your first goal? Well, I really thought that losing weight would help get rid of some of my other health problems. Right, right. 
I, I thought my health problems were a result of the extra weight I was carrying. What I've come to learn now is the extra weight I was carrying was a symptom of my health problems. Oh, wow. Yeah, for sure. And that by getting healthy, by cleaning up my diet, by eating food that was nutritious for me, the weight fell off. And I now tell people, when people see me now, they're like, oh, wow, you lost so much weight. You look great. And I'm like, yeah, but the losing the weight was just a happy side effect of getting healthy and feeding my body the food that it really needed. Right. And I think that's so counterintuitive to the yo-yo dieting that most people are used to and that you mentioned. And I know I fell into that trap for years of my life, but I do think that a lot of people that is their number one goal is just the weight loss, even if it's short term and not thinking maybe beyond that to the amazing health you can have if you keep the weight off long term. Yeah. So in the beginning, it was about the weight. I think everyone needs to start somewhere. One of the things that I've learned about my journey is take it one step at a time. And then as you progress, you learn more. So a few months in, I had made a few changes. I had tried to cut out carbs and I wasn't counting calories. I wasn't counting macros. I was trying to do what I thought was portion control. So portion control for me was not having seconds at dinner Mm. and having what looked like a normal amount of food on my plate, lots of veggies and some meat. And at that point, I probably was still eating mashed potatoes or things like that. A few months in, in June, I read Max Lugavere's book, Genius Foods. It was a real eye-opener for me. And it was not a book about weight loss. It was about brain health. And it interested me because I was in my 40s and I was starting to experience some things that I thought maybe was perimenopause, the the mood swings, like I said, and some brain fog, forgetfulness, things that I thought were due to aging. So I read Max Lugavere's book and it was all about cleaning up the diet. And like I said, not for weight loss, but when you clean up your diet, weight loss happens. And one of the things that I didn't realize is how bad vegetable oils are for us. Mm-hmm. I, we were still using vegetable oils in, in our house. It's cheap. It's neutral tasting. And it's what my husband liked to cook with. That was the first thing that I took out after reading Genius Foods. I I basically made this announcement in my house. I'm like, vegetable oil is now banned from this house and we are cooking with olive oil or coconut oil. So I took out the vegetable oils. I also took out grains. I'd already been avoiding sugar and really focused on lots of vegetables, lots of good fats. I was focusing on the food choices, keeping everything real food, not processed food, which really the most important thing, I think. Yeah, that's a huge shift. What do you think to somebody who's listening to this and, you know, processed foods are hyper palatable. They're delicious. Hours and hours of research goes into making a chip the perfect balance of crispy and colorful and salty. They're addicting. What do you say to the person who maybe hears this and thinks, like, I can't do that. I can't give up these processed foods. I can't switch to this whole foods diet. It's too overwhelming. What would be your advice to that person? Sorry, just a moment. I'm daydreaming about chips right now. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) And honestly, yeah. So as far as processed foods go, our dinners were 
were pretty healthy to begin with. We, we did cook at home a lot and we didn't make craft macaroni out of a box or, or Mr. Noodles. We were cooking real food. So our, our dinners were good. For me, it was the chips. It was mm-hmm. that snack food. And it's the sitting in front of the TV, watching a movie. What, what, am, I, what am I going to eat? Uh, but microwave popcorn, potato chips, those, those were my go-to foods. So I think the first step is healthy swaps, mm-hmm. finding something that you can swap it with that is similar, similar in texture. And sometimes it takes a little bit of planning and effort. I would bake kale chips. I would uh, slice up sweet potato and, and try and bake sweet potato chips in the oven, which was not too successful. I need to get one of those air fryers and try that out. But, yeah, I've heard um, those are amazing. I think so. Yeah. And um, keeping ingredients on hand that you can make easy snacks with. So I became a real fan of making homemade guacamole, which is super easy. You just mash up an avocado, add a little bit of diced tomato, diced onion, lime juice, some spices, and you're good to go. Instead of eating potato chips, I made the switch to pork rinds because I was trying to be low carb, high fat. And for me, it was the first step towards um, some healthier options that was similar to the snack foods that I was really craving. Yeah, I'm a huge believer in small and steady steps that really add up over time. And I've actually created a freebie that I can link in the episode webpage, but it's 75 swaps for different things that people may currently have around and, you know, be addicted to really, and just healthier versions. I mean, chips are delicious. If I come across a Cheeto, I still think it's extremely tasty. It's not like those cravings or the deliciousness of the ultra processed foods ever goes away. It's just really being aware of the impact they're having on your body and knowing that there's other crunchy, healthier alternatives out there that can fill that void, just not restricting completely, right? Not just cutting out the chip category altogether, just finding, I like what you said, healthier swaps. And there, there are healthier versions out there as well. I've discovered now there are some brand of chips that make chips cooked in avocado oil instead yep. of vegetable oil. So I still don't eat chips very often. I still consider them a treat and not something to be consumed daily like I was. Uh, But when I am going to have some chips, I'll go for those. Yeah, exactly. I know. And that's the other good thing to remember is I feel like a lot of brands are capitalizing on all of the buzzwords as they always do, right? Like keto and non-GMO and gluten-free. So they'll label these bags of chips with all of those things. And then maybe it's tempting to think, oh, these are healthy. Whereas you know, these still are treats. They're treats, healthier versions of maybe the old things we used to eat, but they're still in the treat category, not the sort of like everyday all day. Totally. I know that you also have posted some things about switching eventually to grass-fed, grass-finished beef and maybe posting some price issues sometimes. Like sometimes it is more expensive to eat higher qualities of meat or to eat organic So I'm wondering if you can speak to that a little bit. I think one barrier to entry into a healthier diet is often it costs too much. I hear that a lot. So can you share your thoughts on cost as you made this transition? Has it been more expensive, less expensive? Do you have any tricks for that? That was a huge thing for me, actually, because I had to convince my husband that it was not going to put us in the poorhouse for me to eat the way that I now wanted to eat. And 
frankly, in a way that he wasn't all that convinced was necessary. First, I cut out the grains and the sugar, and I focused on a diet that was conventional meat and, and vegetables. And then I started thinking, okay, how can I make it uh, convincing for us to get this good quality meat and for it not to break the bank? So I had always been opposed to frozen vegetables. Mm-hmm. I thought I had these memories of a kid. I thought they were mushy and gross and overcooked. And I didn't think they were as healthy either for some reason. And came to realize that frozen vegetables can be just as healthy, sometimes better because um, they're not having to be transported. They're not having to be uh, picked before they're ready. So there can be some advantages to frozen vegetables. The other huge advantage is that frozen vegetables will not go bad if you don't use them all right Right. away. One of the things I was guilty of was wasting produce. I would buy all this produce thinking, okay, great. And then it wouldn't all get used and it would go bad. So that's a huge waste of money there. So we started buying frozen vegetables. I did some research into the grass-fed beef and I found a local butcher who offered meat in a butcher box. I looked at the cost and I showed my husband because he does the budget for our family. And I said, okay, look, so this is how much it will cost for this meat. This meat will last X amount of meals. And it's really not much more than what we're spending already. And we can balance that with buying frozen vegetables, which he was fine with frozen vegetables. I was always the one that was opposed to it. So he was totally on board with that. The first time we tried the grass-fed beef, he loved it. He, he noticed a taste difference right away. So I won him on that. I was like, yes, okay, he's on board. <laughs> Thank goodness, and, right? Good thing it didn't taste worse. That would have been a well, bigger Oh my struggle. goodness, yeah. <laughs> and, and I also uh, brought it to him with the idea of that we could eat better quality meat, but maybe a little less of it. That mm-hmm. we didn't have to have a huge portion of meat that it could be a smaller portion of better quality, better tasting meat, more, more vegetables. And I also throw in things like I like to use canned wild salmon uh, once or twice a week for meals, making salmon cakes or canned salmon is a staple for me, for my salad, if I'm taking a salad to work because easy and convenient mm-hmm. and my, my coworkers might complain about the smell from my desk, but I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> Yeah, who cares about them? (laughs) Right? Um, But yeah, I think it's about steps. I also think too that as far as healthier being more expensive, it really depends how you look at it. For example, if you're eating out all the time or ordering in or takeout, that's going to be a lot more expensive than cooking at home, even if you're cooking the organic and the grass-fed beef and the free-range chicken. So it's it's all about your priorities, I think. And uh, your food choices. Right. And then I think even beyond that, the cost of medications and health issues down the road, that's what oh I my always goodness, yes. try to bring up to people. You know, it's, it's tough because it's all, sometimes hard to think that far in advance, but definitely switching to a whole foods diet, getting away from processed foods, getting away from as much takeout and restaurant food. I mean, that's going to pay off in the end for sure. Well, each step pays off, right? So if you are eating out a lot and you switch to eating at home, even if it's conventional meat, conventional vegetables, that's still better than than the eating out. And then eventually, if you switch to better quality meat and better quality produce, 
But if you can't afford to buy it all organic, give it a good soak in the sink with, um, with water and vinegar. And then from there, maybe you decide, okay, I'm going to buy some things organic. Like an avocado does not need to be organic in my opinion because it's got that thick skin. It's really those dirty dozen foods, the, the lettuce, the tomatoes, the grapes, anything with that thin skin, that if you can make the choice to get it organic, it, it helps. Definitely. Yeah. I actually wrote a blog post about the dirty dozen. So I'll link that in the show notes as well. But um, I didn't know that trick about water and vinegar soaking produce. That's really smart. That just helps to clean it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not going to remove everything, right? but it, it will help for sure. Yeah. And again, you know, like you said, it's steps, you do what you can. And that's a great tip for somebody who maybe can't afford organic produce right now to do that for a while. For sure. And I have to admit, one of the things that's real, um, really close to my heart is the fact that I don't think being healthy should have to cost a lot. Yeah. I think, uh, and it, it, it's one of my real things that those lower income families who, you know, they're having to buy the Kraft macaroni or the Mr. Noodles because that's all they can afford that week. And that food is doing absolutely nothing for them, but maybe they don't have the, the education to know the harm it's doing to them, or even just, just the means to, to buy better food. So the more we can do to make healthy food accessible to everyone, that would be amazing. Right. I agree. And I think the more of us who do have the means and we vote with our purchases, so the more demand there is for organic and grass-fed, grass-finished, then the supply will go up and then hopefully the prices will go down. So Absolutely. That's hopefully the future goal. I don't remember the statistic, but I know just organic alone has grown exponentially in the last 20 years just because of public demand for it. And then prices have dropped. So that's really great. Well, now you can walk into a Walmart and see organic produce. Exactly. Whereas you could not, you would not see that 10 years ago. Right. It was only at Whole Foods or Whole Paycheck as people used to call it, right? It was right. this really ritzy, luxurious treat to buy something organic. So I totally agree with you that I think about that all the time as well, but I do think that there's hope and I see things trending in the right direction. Real quick, I want to take a break from the episode to share one of my favorite resources with you. One of the BS messages floating around out there is that eating healthy costs too much. Honestly, I used to believe this myself. That is, until I discovered thrivemarket.com. Thrive Market is an online grocery platform that's essentially Costco meets Trader Joe's meets Whole Foods. I love that I can shop on their mobile app and have all of my favorite groceries, everything from natural wine to 100% grass-fed beef to nutritious crackers, everything, delivered right to my door. Last year, I saved over $1,000 shopping on Thrive. I honestly can't think of one reason not to love it. To save a percentage off your first order and see my full shopping list, click through the links in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. One thing you mentioned was office culture, and I kind of wanted to touch on that because I think you bring up a really good point, especially around the holidays. Um, I don't work, I used to be a teacher, but I don't work in the sort of office culture anymore, but I do remember it was constant baked goods and leftovers from some football game that people brought in. I mean, there was just food always around and always accessible. So I also know for myself that when I kind of cleaned up my diet, there were naysayers around and people who would make comments about what I was eating and, oh, you're not going to eat a cookie and, you know, why not? So how do you kind of deal with that whole office culture aspect of, you mentioned you take your own lunch. 
and there is food around. So what do you, how do you handle that? So yeah, there's a lot about office culture. Uh, we have a birthday cake once a month to celebrate everyone's birthdays. Uh, people have a party at home and they have leftovers and they, they bring in the food. Uh, and then there's the, the parties and the potlucks and there's a lot about food in the office. Yes. So I know you're a big believer in not um, removing any food groups completely, mm -hmm. nothing being off limit. Uh, and I'm working on that now and allowing myself to have treats once in a while. But in the beginning, I, I really had to just um, make a hard line and say like, like, no, I was not having any sugar because I, I needed to get rid of it out of my system. And I also knew that if I had one chocolate, I would eat the whole box. And there, oh, was, definitely. there was just no stopping me. So after a while, people really just understood, oh no, Kathy's not going to eat that. That's just, and they would still offer just to be polite. Oh, by the way, there's some cupcakes downstairs. I know you probably don't want any, but I'm like, okay, thanks for letting me know. Yeah. <laughs> now I want and, to more. <laughs> yeah. And I can remember at uh, one uh, holiday party. So I was, I was halfway through my weight loss journey. I was down about 30 pounds and, and everyone was saying, you know, what a great job I was doing. And there was like three cakes and I don't know however many other desserts out. And my boss who had made and brought the cakes, she was like, um, you're probably being good, but you know, there's cake there if you want. And I have a coworker who's vegan. And so I said, you know what? Asking me if I want that cake is the same as asking Susie if she wants that juicy steak over there. Mm, yeah. It's just not in, it doesn't exist. Right. And I, I really had to just um, put that mindset for a long time. And like I said, now it's been two years. I'm at a healthy weight. I was, I was at a holiday party a week ago and there was lint chocolate scattered all over the table. And one of my husband's coworkers offered me a chocolate and my husband right away was like, Oh no, she won't eat it. No, don't even bother asking her. And I decided I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to have one chocolate. And then one chocolate did turn into five, um, but it was one night. Right. And then the next day I drank a lot of water and I went back to eating my salads. So that's something I'm working on in that balance. And right. And yeah. we all need to find that in our own way, but it may mean drawing a hard line in the beginning and being really firm with people. Yeah, totally. And I, you're right. I'm very much into not restricting forever, but I completely understand the purpose of that at certain times, especially when it comes to sugar. I mean, even for myself, I know that one chocolate can lead to many. So, you know, it's working on that mindset. It's a constant work in progress, I think for all of us, but yeah, I think those are some good tips. One For question sure. I wanted to ask, I see you a lot of the time on Instagram posting about meditation, and this is something that I kind of do, but I know I need to do way more of. Um, and I've been a little intimidated because I had Headspace, the app for a year, and I just constantly felt guilty about never using it and getting my money's worth. But it just, using an app for meditation wasn't my thing. So I'm wondering your process for meditation and if you have any sort of points of entry for people like me who have been intimidated by it, but are really intrigued by it as well. 
so meditation has been really huge for me and we could do a whole podcast talking just about that. So I'll try and keep this brief, but so it was part of my process. And like I said, everything is in steps. So when I read Max Lugavere's book, Genius Foods, he didn't just talk about diet. He also talked about lifestyle changes that are good for the brain, good for the body. And one of the things he was meditation. I wasn't ready then to take on all of the lifestyle changes. I had to just focus on one thing at a time. So my priority was nutrition mm-hmm. and diet. And basically for all of 2018, that's what I focused on was nutrition and diet and being able to say no to the sugar and no, no to different things. And by the end of 2018, I had lost 30 pounds and I felt like the diet and nutrition was not a struggle for me anymore. It was secondhand nature. I didn't have to put as much work into it. It was really, it was a habit. It was a lifestyle. So I thought, okay, I'm ready to add some more things to this health journey. And I made another New Year's resolution for 2019 for meditation. And like you, I got the Headspace app. And every night before bed, I would, well, no, not every night before bed. My goal was every night before bed. Yeah, I I feel you on that. (laughs) Try and do this. And I was really inconsistent with it. And some nights I would do it, some nights I wouldn't. And I wasn't really seeing any benefit from it at all. In February... I listened, I listened to Max Lugavere's podcast, Genius Life, and his guest was Emily Fletcher. Emily Fletcher taught Max Lugavere how to meditate, and she had a book that had just come out called Stress Less, Accomplish More. In this podcast interview, she was explaining her own journey of meditation and basically how meditation changed her life completely. She talked a little bit about the science, how meditation reduces our stress. And she talked about how those apps like Headspace, that is mindfulness. That's getting in the present moment. Her meditation practice uses three stages. Mindfulness, which you do a little bit at the beginning of the meditation. It can be deep breathing, counting breath, um, being aware of your senses. And then the meditation portion, it uses a mantra. And she goes into much greater detail in the book, but the mantra is a word that you repeat silently in your head and you do that for about 15 minutes. And then after the meditation portion, manifestation. Manifestation, you start off by thinking of two or three things that you're really grateful for in your life. So it could be your family, your friends. It could be something as simple as not missing the bus that morning, just anything you think of that you're grateful for. And then manifesting is thinking of your future and where you want to be in your future. And you think of it as you would, as if it's happening right now. So if your goal is to be sitting on a beach, retired, and no worries or cares in the world, you just think about how it would feel to sit on that beach and to not have any worries or cares and to be living your absolute best life as if it's happening right now. That's the really short, condensed version of how her meditation practice works. I always recommend anybody I see that that book is just, everyone should read it, in my opinion. It explains meditation so well. It explains Um, the benefits of meditation, but it explains a really practical way to do it. And one of the things she focuses on is that you don't need an app. You don't need to rely 
on a timer or anything. It's meditation that you can do anywhere. I have meditated sitting at my desk at work while the noise of the office is going on around me. I have meditated during a hockey game, not live, but while my husband's <laughs> watching hockey on TV. Um, that would be impressive. <laughs> right? During a live hockey game. <laughs> but some of the ways specifically that it's really benefited me. So I think first of all, the key is actually consistency. And it's like with anything else, anything health related, it's, you've got to be consistent with it. What Emily recommends is two 15 minute meditations a day. One when you first wake up in the morning and one some point in the afternoon. And it's not a lot of time, but it does take some planning to actually do it. And when I started doing it after only two or three weeks, my husband noticed a difference in me. My daughter noticed a difference in me. And the difference they noticed was the best way to describe this is I've always been a person that holds on to things and holds grudges. My parents used to say when I was a child that I must have kept a running list somewhere of everything they ever did to wrong me in any way because I never forgot anything that someone did that upset me. And I couldn't let these things go. Meditation helped me let those things go. My husband and I had a silly fight one morning and I can't remember what it was, what it was about because it was one of those silly fights. Later on in the day, my husband was emailing me at work saying, you know, I'm really sorry about this morning. And I said, oh, it's done. Forgotten about. I've, I've moved on from that. And he was shocked. He's yeah. like, really? You've moved on? Because <laughs> <laughs> he's the one that would always let things go. Right. He would have a disagreement. And I was never able to do that. The other things I noticed was I had this new ability. I would almost call it a superpower to negotiate. And if I was trying to convince somebody of something, I was able to word my argument in a way that I was more intuitive. I was mm -hmm. able to say things in a way that was more convincing. Like if I was giving a presentation at work, I was able to explain myself in a way that, you know, if I was having a disagreement with my husband, the disagreement would end sooner because I was able to communicate more effectively where I was coming from, my feelings about the subject. Instead of putting blame and saying, well, you did this and you did this and you did that. I was like, well, I'm feeling like this right now. And uh, when you do that, it makes me feel like that. And that's probably something that 10 years of therapy could have taught me as well. But <laughs> hey, I, I this really, sounds a lot cheaper. <laughs> right? But I really do believe it was the meditation. And then the, the last thing that really uh, was life-changing about meditation was, so I talked about the manifestation point at the end. And when I first started meditating, I didn't have any goals. I didn't know what to think of for my goals. I, I had no direction that I wanted my life to go in. I was happy with my life. I was happy with my family, but things can always get better. And as I started meditating more and more, my goals at first were, okay, I want to get healthier. I want to lose the weight. I want to get rid of these health problems that I'm having. And then that goal transitioned to, I want to help other people get healthy. I don't know how I want to do that, but I want to help other people get healthy because uh, if I can do it, anyone can do it. Then it got more specific. It was, how can I help other people get healthy? Well, maybe I'll start an Instagram account specifically about weight loss and try and share some tips and tricks with people. And then that turned into, well, maybe I could start a podcast and I'm 
I'm not a health expert. I've done it, but I have not gone to school for nutrition. I'm not licensed in anything, but maybe I could interview health experts and share their knowledge with the world. So I truly believe that if I had not been meditating, none of the fun, cool health stuff that I'm doing right now would even exist. Wow, that's incredible. That's a very convincing argument you just made for meditation. <laughs> so I'm definitely going to check out that book, Emily Fletcher's book. I also have heard her interviewed. She's great, um, but I'll link it in the show notes. And then if anyone else is interested, which I'm sure many people are now, they can check that out. I really appreciate you sharing all that. I guess my yeah. final question for you would be, if someone is hearing your story and thinking, wow, that's really great for Kathy. She lost 50 pounds. You know, she's switched to whole foods diet. She meditates, but I can never do what she's done. What would you say to that person who's just kind of on the start of their health journey or maybe even not even starting it yet, just thinking about it? Well, like I said, I really felt like if I can do this, anyone can do it. But I think we can be so self-sabotaging of ourselves and we think I have to do all of it and I have to do it all at once. And I am very guilty of that. I'm very much an all or nothing person, especially when it comes to health and wellness. To have one bad day, I'm like, well, that's it. Diet's ruined. I might as well eat the whole box of donuts instead of just one. And I think my advice to people really is focus small, manageable steps. Do not focus on the 50 pounds or 100 pounds or the five health problems that, that you want to get rid of. Focus on one small change you can make this week and then add another one and then add another one. So maybe it's, you know what, I'm going to cook dinner every night this week instead of ordering takeout. Or I'm going to try and eat one big salad for lunch every day. And instead of using store-bought dressing, I'm going to uh, shake up some olive oil and balsamic vinegar, add some avocado, and I'll bring that for lunch every, every day and be prepared. And then maybe, you know, you want to start exercising. It doesn't have to be, I'm going to get up and do my HIIT one hour workout every morning and get up at 4 a.m. and do it. Not everyone's able to do that. And you don't necessarily want to start with that. So maybe it's, you know what, I'm going to get up 15 minutes early and walk around the block before I go to work. And I'm going to go out my lunch break and go for another walk. And maybe after dinner, I'll, I'll go for a walk. And then maybe that walk turns into a longer walk. And then maybe that walk turns into jogging. Or maybe it turns into uh, adding some weight training. It's about the steps. Yes, I agree 100%. And I just, I really appreciate your perspective and your take on that. So we mentioned at the beginning, if people want to find you, you mentioned your Instagram, but go ahead and share again where people can find you on Instagram. And then I know you're starting a website eventually also, right? I am. Yes. So it's they'll be able to find I... that through Instagram eventually, but it's tough. So <laughs> I understand I your pain with that. <laughs> and I did things a little backwards. Most people start with a website and then they have their podcast or their Instagram. I started with Instagram and then the podcast. And then I was, hmm, yeah, I probably should make a website for me. So uh, hey, it's all about the small steps, right? Small baby steps right. with everything. Right. <laughs> but your Instagram again for everyone. So my Instagram is at Kathy. Kathy is spelled C-A-T-H-Y underscore live your best life. I have a Facebook page for the podcast at 
Live Your Best Life podcast on Facebook. And the podcast itself, like I said, it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and there's links to it on my Instagram. Awesome. Well, I thank you so much, Kathy, for being here. And I look forward to connecting with you more over on Instagram. It's always so funny to make these virtual friends, but I'm glad to know you virtually and to keep in contact. Well, maybe one day we'll have to. I know, exactly. I've been wanting to go to Canada more, so. (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, there's a goal. Well, thank you so much, Kathy. I really appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for talking with me. Well, that's all for today. Before the next episode drops, I'd love to chat with you one-on-one about the BS messages and methods currently holding you back. You deserve simple weight loss and sustainable wellness. So let's figure out how to make both happen. To book your free consultation, click through the link in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Health Investment Podcast. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.